Hello and welcome back to Radio Rothbard. I'm Ryan McMakin. I'm executive editor with the Mises Institute, and here with me, as always, is my co-host, Tho Bishop, our head of marketing, and my associate editor here at the Mises Institute. And we're going to talk a little bit about government stats this time. The the reason we got thinking about it was uh, I did an article on, I guess, Monday, uh, looking at the jobs numbers. And this has been a topic of continual interest and dismay in many corners, because while virtually all of the economic data except the payroll jobs data points to a slowing economy, you even have Fed economists who always predict a rosy picture saying, oh, we expect a quote-unquote mild recession later this year. If they're admitting a recession at all, you should be worried about a real recession. Um, yeah, instead, we get month after month, the payroll jobs data showing like these blowout jobs report again and again, even though the leading economic indicators index shows declining economy, you got the yield curve uh, inverted, you've got the Empire State Manufacturing Index showing recession. I, you can look at, well, and I listed in the article at least six different indicators all pointing to this. So what is it with the jobs data? Um, and of course, the jobs data is one of the most important in terms of the news cycle. And so these, these headline numbers that get reported, it all just kind of illustrates how important government statistics have become in the discussion and in the news cycle. And it doesn't take much of it uh, at all anymore to get Wall Street real excited. You give them one number that shows the economy's uh, doing well, and they just they trumpet it to the skies. And of course, it's always important to remember that most of these Wall Street quote unquote analysts that are on financial Twitter and people out there on the TV shows, they're really basically salespeople. They, they've got a product that they want people to be bullish about the economy about. And, you know, it's like trusting an economist in many cases from the National Association of Realtors, right? It's always a great time to buy. So uh, you, you have to really look at this data and really parse it and know where it's coming from. And it can be useful if you know how to use it. But as far as just the headline numbers go, a lot of the time you're just being deceived. And uh, it's always important to keep in mind that why does, why does the government keep all these statistics anyway? And, it's, and it, uh, it has a big role in helping just justify government action in the economy because it gives all these metrics then which the government can claim it's fixing or helping solve or making progress against and then lo and behold the government also has the ability to massage these numbers and change the way it collects these numbers so uh that's always pretty significant <laughs> and uh, it's been going on for quite some time and uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about about uh, not just jobs numbers but broader issues like the census and uh, also crime data and just a lot of these numbers that really affect the national conversation over this stuff. But just how reliable is this stuff is, is a question we have to always ask ourselves. Yeah, and your, your article, like the, the, the jobs data in particular, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I very much encourage our listeners to look at the chart uh, because the two different metrics uh, uh, you know, that we are looking at for the employment numbers in particular, as you mentioned, the the, the establishment of uh, payroll data and then the, the household survey data, 
um, you know, the chart is fascinating because you see a very strong correlation up to, I believe it was about uh, what, May or uh, March of uh, 2022. And all of a sudden, that is where you see a, a massive breakaway. And of course, that now raises the specter of, you know, which, which one of those two is correct. Um, you know, on one side, you have individual American households reporting on what they are seeing. On the other side, it is the stats collected by the black box of uh, stat offices within the, the government. Um, you know, the, the government obviously has a very strong incentive to portray one dynamic. And again, those, those numbers breaking away there um, in a very stark matter, again, against that historical trend, I mean, is, is really a, a fascinating illustration here. And of course, we've seen this, this, this specter play out in a variety of different uh, measures over time. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure faithful Radio Rothbard listeners are probably already familiar with um, Austrian critiques over GDP and things like that. The, something that might be propping up our economic figures right now uh, going against a recession is the skyrocketing sales of Radio Rothbard mugs, single-handedly propping up the American economy. I think right now you can get yours at Rothmug or Mises.org/Rothmug, um, as many many uh, uh, proud listeners have already. Um, but uh, uh, you know, GDP data obviously being one thing. Um, I know there's been a lot of concerns, uh, a lot of work done on the way that inflation numbers are juiced one way or another. Um, the use of substitute goods and things like that. And so what's interesting is that in this broader dynamic, and again, our, our constant theme of the breakdown of trust in these larger institutions, the more that the official stats say one thing, the real life experiences of Americans say another thing, it erodes that, that very important dynamic of trust in what the uh, you know, proper authorities are telling us about the state of economy. And again, that is something that, you know, obviously I, I know that this is playing into, um, you know, the, the Fed's decisions because the, the Fed is looking at that jobs data. If, if you know, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, the, the, the signal, they've made it very clear that gives them cold feet about uh, future rate increases, which, you know, we've gone through this period of, oh, well, it looks like they're going to pause. And then you have more Fed officials saying, oh, well, the inflation data isn't quite getting to where we, we want it to be. And the jobs data is, is strong. So we might have to continue to raise and continue to raise the markets. And it's, it's this interesting dynamic where the political side of it needs to be able to continue to project the strong economic performance for political purposes, the markets, the, the, the financial talking heads. In many ways, they want uh, underperforming job data um, to try to stop the Fed from increasing rates, which is having consequences on zombie firms and, and you know, corporations and things like that and, and financial markets. And yet, you know, your average American is kind of caught in the middle where, you know, we feel the, you know, the, the real cost, you know, whether it's going to the grocery store, we feel the real cost when it comes to general economic performance around the country. Um, and again, this, this, this detachment, of course, goes to the way that you know, statistics and, and the, the mathematicalization of economics goes directly into what the state is able to get away with in terms of their interventions, in terms of their grand plans and things like that. And so again, this, you know, seeing this data, again, this, this, this sharp um, divide there is, is really fascinating. And again, I, the, the more and more I see picked up outside of 
our sort of, of circles of skepticism of government stats and into the broader conversation of, hey, this, this smells fishy right here. Um, that is a positive thing for our fight against, you know, you know, politicized economics. Um, but again, it just, it is very interesting to see it play out in such, such explicit um, terms um, as pointed out in your article. Yeah, it's nice to see a lot of skepticism over it. And uh, yeah, let's, let's touch on a couple of things you mentioned, right? When, with the employment data, there's two different surveys, uh, at least in terms of just actual, when we refer to the number of jobs or the number of people employed. There's the establishment survey, which is a survey of actual employers, and they're counting jobs, positions. And then there's the household survey, which is an actual survey where they call people and ask them, do you have a job? Do you want a job? That sort of thing. Now, that's a survey of actual number of people employed. And as, as I noted in the Monday article, that, that number, the number of people employed went down by more than 300,000, while the number of jobs went up by more than 300,000. So you had this 600,000 gap between jobs and persons employed which is pretty significant, and that gap's been getting larger over time. It's now around 2.2 million in terms of job gains since uh, 2022, as you noted. So notice how they always report on the establishment survey. Now, part of that's tradition. I mean, that's just traditionally how they've done it. Uh, but they could mention the household survey and the job losses there, but that's never mentioned except deep on some lower paragraph in most cases. And so the media plays along very much with this. Now, if you need an illustration of how important this is politically, it's because this then feeds directly into political pressure applied to the Federal Reserve. So as long as the job numbers look real good, that gives Powell political cover to keep allowing interest rates to rise. Now, I think that's actually a good thing. If Powell's using this as some sort of scheme to get away with raising interest rates more, which he should be doing, he should be letting them go up higher because there's been so much monetary inflation in recent years. You need a lot more than just a measly five and a quarter percent uh, in terms of your federal funds rate to get the money supply back under control. And that's gonna require uh, deflation and job losses, and that's the only way you can start to fix some of that malinvestment. You got to let that happen. And it could be Powell's some sort of evil genius here uh, where, where he's actually using this then uh, to make sure he can keep to he can get away with uh, keeping the rate going up. Fine. Whatever. So I'm not actually particularly upset about them not reporting on the household survey number more just in terms of short term interest. However, just the general dishonesty, the general lack of precision that goes into reporting on it is uh, somewhat alarming. And the fact that mo your average consumer of this data, they have no clue about any of this stuff, any of these differences in the surveys and what's going on. No, it's rarely mentioned, for example, that the, uh, that the number of survey responses, especially in the establishment survey, is way, way down. It's down by like 20% from where it was three years ago. So you've got fewer and fewer businesses even reporting the data. So that's another reason to be skeptical. And, and I've been on the inside of this, too, at the state level, because when I was uh, I worked for the Department of Local Affairs, I processed a, a bunch of the economic data there, uh, reported on uh, home prices and foreclosures, for example, some other uh, stuff. And since I was always, I just avoided politics like, like kryptonite. So 
generally I flew under the radar. The governor's office didn't care what I was doing because I never got political with the stuff. But it's not like that at the federal level. I mean, it's way more closely monitored by the White House in terms of what sort of data can you put out of any of these agencies um, that are all within the executive branch. And so the messaging all has to, to work with what the White House and with what all those lifer bureaucrats want to say. And so you, you can't just think that you're getting some sort of honest assessment of the situation. And then uh, just on top of this, right, there's the GDP data, which they're always uh, quoting as somehow evidence of great economic strength. And then there was, just remember last year, that nonsense about, how, oh, yeah, well, we had two quarters of declining GDP, but we decided that that no longer uh, suggests recession. Now, I was willing to play along, right, with the, this is not a hard stop when it comes to two declining quarters of GDP mean for sure a significant recession, but it was clearly significant economic weakness. And they just kind of pretended that they hadn't been saying for years that two quarters in a row of negative GDP was a strong, strong indicator of recession. They just started acting like we never said that. That, well, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Everything's fine. And so they're just blatantly lying to you about a lot of this jobs data. And so you should just be aware of that and uh, be, uh, <laughs> be extremely, um, we should say, uh, aware of how this stuff uh, is being used to manipulate you. And it's always important to remember that the government statistics are historical data, right? It's essentially every every report that comes out is, is, is a miniature history book of sorts. It's telling you something that happened in the world recently. Now, it may be an accurate picture or it may be an inaccurate picture, just like some history books about cultural history are accurate or inaccurate. Uh, but that's what it's purporting to do, is tell you this is what happened. Uh, in the recent past. So you have to be aware of how history gets written too, right? What they choose to cover and what they choose to report on is that will color your own interpretation of the situation. Sometimes I get emails from people who don't understand how history gets written or how the research process works, and they'll say, oh, we just need honest, unbiased historical accounts. Well, no such thing exists, right? As, as Mises noted, the job of the historian is to write what's relevant. What are the relevant facts in these cases? And it's not always clear what's relevant. So you have to pick and choose what are the relevant facts, right? If you're writing a history of the gold standard, including a bunch of information about uh, what happened with some Zairean tribes in 1901 may or may not have anything to do with the gold standard. It's history, but it may or may not be relevant. And so the historian, uh, the statistician, always has to make these decisions about what information do I include or what do I not include. And that's going to then suddenly determine what the, the everyday journalists, most of whom are profoundly lazy in terms of how they report on the information, are going to say. And so keep an eye out there about what they've ceased reporting on or what new things are they reporting. Now, on these days, it's mostly discontinued data. I noticed that the Fed seems really gung-ho about just ending various stats that it has been historically reporting on. You can go through that on the FRED data and just go through. There's tons of stuff that was just discontinued in 2021. It's really quite amazing. And they've really changed. They, they've stopped with a lot of the weekly data on money supply and all of this stuff. So 
uh, th that's not just like some scientific assessment, right? They're making a political calculus in many ways, uh, especially in whatever way they think can seem plausible. So it's not just the data that you're seeing that's maybe suspect, it's the fact that the data now you, that you're no longer seeing or never did see is also really coloring your view of what reality is as well. Right, and you've seen some attempts um, by various uh, uh, outlets to try to create some alternatives to those, the, the, the official stats out there. Um, shadow stats being one of the, the more notable ones, particularly within our circles, where you know, uh, you're using um, uh, different formulas for trying to figure out inflation um, that the government has changed over time. There was a very interesting project that was done with uh, some Harvard and MIT economists, um, the Billion Prices Project, um, that was taking various different real market price prices and trying to figure out an inflation level there. Um, that was in it, I believe, in 2021, where their information started to showing a, a different, you know, a decent amount of showing inflation rising faster than the official accounts. I'm not going to suggest that one is directly connected to, you know, that that, that reporting led to its no longer being factored in, um, uh, being continued, but, you know, that, that correlation was there. Um, you know, some of the, the Fed data recently, um, you know, uh, in terms of uh, money supply increases, things like that, you know, that was canned, um, you know, without much fanfare there. Um, and the historical side, obviously, you know, th this was something that, that Murray Rothbard wrote about, the, the importance of statistical bureaus with the rise of the larger progressive government project um, and his uh, a paper on World War One as the fulfillment um, of, of, of pow you know, the power of intellectuals and then the rise of World War One as a kind of continuation of the intellectual class progressives. Um, you know, he talks about the role that the rise of you know, stats-heavy economics play and, and Richard Eli and, and those sort of figures. Um, you know, so this is very much baked into the history and the rise of the modern state as we know it. And this extends in, in a variety of, of interesting ways. Um, you know, we, we can see it not only play out in issues like uh, inflation, like the jobs data situation that we have right now, um, like our broader, again, our broader con recogni recognition that CPI as a measure with its factoring in of, of government spending alongside of, of you know, the, the private sector, the way that that distorts and the way that led to, you know, a very prominent economists overestimating the strength of the Soviet Union, the infamous um, uh, you have Samuelson textbook that was predicting the USSR to overtake the size of the American economy before its total collapse there. Um, but we even say, see it play out with the way that um, FBI crime statistic reporting changed um, in recent years. Um, you know, again, the, the cover of, of COVID and some of these these sort of things, which are were used to justify a variety of different um, changes in the way that government has historically um, acted or reported certain things. Um, you know, that obviously overlapped with some very serious concerns with crime issues, um, particularly in American urban cities. Um, you've also see it play out uh, with, you know, something like census data. Um, you know, when we consider the, the larger political ramifications and the way that, um, you know, things like congressional seats are allocated, um, it is worth remembering that in 2021, for the first time, the census delayed the reporting of their numbers 
Um, it should have been done during the Trump administration. They were to use COVID as an excuse. Those numbers didn't come out until um, the Biden administration had already taken over. And because of the way that they figured out the numbers, um, the, the, the official census data led to states like New York and California having more congressional seats than a lot of estimates um, on population changes and migration changes and things like that. And that's not factoring in everything that happened after 2020 in the way that, you know, particularly COVID era policies and other factors, you know, led to larger movement into certain red states. But just simply looking at numbers up to 2020, um, there's a lot of evidence that the census data uh, misrepresented the populations of blue states at the detriment of red states, which would have resulted in a number of congressional seats um, being allocated to, you know, uh, districts that you could predict to be Republican in the way that, you know, has a direct factor into the government policy. Um, not to say that, you know, a couple of extra seats in, in you know, Alabama would have led to a dr dramatic change in the way that the Republicans negotiated the debt ceiling deal or anything radical like that. But but there are direct ramifications with the by which the, the federal government is able to tweak and manipulate, um, you know, these stats in a variety of different bureaus, a variety of different ways to get outcomes that they desire. Um, and again, this just shows, you know, the, the, the larger issue here where, you know, these statistic, statistic bureaus are not just propaganda wings of the regime, which I think is, again, a, a major factor within some of this jobs data and, and things like that, but directly can be used in ways to empower or, or uh, uh, enrich certain political factions at the expense of other political factions based on whatever the agendas of who makes up and reports these stats. Um, and so again, either the politicalization of everything, the agenda of everything, um, you know, again, I'm, I know our listeners will not be uh, surprised at the idea that we are speculating that uh, you know, serious professional neutrality is the top priority of the bureaucrats. And you know, not, not all of which are bad. I, I, I know some people that work for the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I, I remember uh, Robert Wenzel, I think, had a few moles on the inside of some of these statistical uh, uh, bureaus that were kind of feeding him some of the information that they saw that weren't quite being factored into the official reports and things like that. So, you know, if, if you're out there, if you're, if you're uh, looking to get your PhD or, or a master's um, in economics and are wanting to, to infiltrate some of these agencies, I, I think there is some, some interesting value within that. Um, but, but obviously, again, these, these things as a whole, um, you know, they, they, they always serve the state. And again, it's interesting to see the different agendas at play here and how that directly relates into what is reported and what is not reported. And that, uh, th that choice, those choices, um, directly reflect political pressures and political desires. Yeah, there's always a few conscientious people in there, but it's designed to make sure that uh, people who uh, have the proper sympathies have veto power over any information that might actually be problematic. So, yeah, they uh, they have a way of canceling out the positive contributions of uh, the the more conscientious people in there. But yeah, isn't it remarkable the way that uh, that crime data at the FBI just no longer seems to be getting collected well anymore. That uh, it's uh, you can't go in there in after 2021. There just wasn't reliable. They, the FBI says, "Oh, well, people aren't reporting like they used to be because we switched over to a new system." Oh, okay. So I guess we just don't have any national data anymore on crime. Okay. Well, there's that. 
uh, there's, of course, the way the census uh, has uh, been designed to collect ethnicity and racial data in a way that makes it easier to spread around federal spending in a way that uh, rewards specific interest groups. Um, because I, I remember I had a funny uh, professor, and he was plenty left wing, but he said he said whenever I fill out the census, like I always just say I'm a black guy, and uh, or I was like why he wasn't black, and uh, he's like well because that brings more money into my community. He's like if if the more people who say they're black in your community, the more federal money comes in, and my community needs more money for roads or whatever, and uh, so. <laughs> So he knew how the game worked, right? The idea is, is that you just need to uh, portray yourself and your community as one of these groups that is targeted for more federal money. So the money gets collected from middle-class taxpayers, and then it gets resent out according to how the census is collected and which groups uh, have been determined to be more worthy of the taxpayer money than other groups. And then, of course, they just create categories, and I've done this work on Hispanic, uh, on the, the, the category that is known as Hispanic. Uh, I'm personally interested in it because I, I remember I was once looking at my mom's old birth certificate, which is from the 40s. And back then they had, you could check Mexican on it. Although interestingly, they checked Caucasian on hers, even though she's dark skinned and doesn't look particularly Caucasian. The reason being is, is that uh, they didn't care all that much. You just check whatever box or maybe whatever box her mom said to check. Uh, but they then, they then discontinued the Mexican box after a while, and then they invented in the 70s the Hispanic box. So this was a Nixon-era thing. And they decided, oh, we're creating this new category known as Hispanic. So now this is all very important in lots of reporting that the census does in terms of federal spending and all of that. And it's this totally made-up category. You could just as easily make up a category of, well, Syrians are no longer white as they currently are under federal law. Syrians are counted as white. Oh, we now have a Middle Eastern category or we have an Eastern European category. Those are all non-whites. So you could see how you could just completely invent your social and ethnic makeup of the country by just creating new boxes to check on the census. And then the, the press reports on that as if, if they have that data, they can say, oh, this non-white group is doing X, Y, Z. And okay, but it has, no, in one case it does exist, in another case it doesn't exist. It all just depends on what decision somebody made with uh, census data and you, that's just another way where stuff is being just completely made up and these totally arbitrary categories uh, are being created. And most people don't even know about that. And then another way that, that they do that is the way the census counts uh, people who are within certain ethnicities. So if your grandparents came from Mexico and they at some point were counted as Hispanics, uh, under the census, well, all of their descendants are now going to be counted as Hispanics, even though maybe their children, your mother or father, uh, had children with some white Anglo-Saxon person. Well, now their kids are Hispanic, half Hispanic, right? Quote, unquote. And then if the, their, if their kids, your generation, then intermarries with some other group, they're still counted as Hispanic. So this doesn't go down when you're finally, your great-grandkids are 1 16th or 1 32nd Hispanic. Guess what? They're still Hispanic. So that's how the census comes up with these bizarre projections. Like in the year 2041, 
X percentage of Americans will be Hispanic. They've got these, they've just got these programs that determine this has nothing to do with like with your actual culture or what language you speak or anything. It's because you once had a great grandparent who in the census was listed as Hispanic. And most people have no idea how these numbers are calculated and just how completely divorced from reality a lot of this counting is done. And they don't even understand that the Hispanic box is an ethnicity box, and then that's separate from the racial box you check, so you can be a white Hispanic or an Indian Hispanic or whatever. And most people don't even understand that. So the whole complex of government statistics it, it's, it's kind of this partnership between the media and government bean counters in constantly framing political issues, determining what gets covered and how it get, gets covered. And it may not involve any sort of actual fudging of the numbers. It may be completely in line with how they've determined the numbers should be covered and how it's published. And it's all out in the open, but that's what gets reported on and that's what gets counted. And so then that's used to determine federal policy. And most people just have no clue. So, and then they just read the newspaper article and they think, oh, these are facts. And that's, that then is the reality that gets adopted by much of the public. And boy, is it, it, it's, a, uh, it's a losing battle in most cases to uh, try and really combat that. The real only answer, of course, is to decentralize it. Uh, and defunded at the federal level completely. That's the only thing that would really strike any real uh, sort of damage at the heart of the whole uh, government statistical complex. Um, but good luck getting uh, Kevin McCarthy to defund any of these federal statistical uh, projects. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that he doesn't have the slightest interest in that. Yeah. Well, of course, it doesn't matter how the census uh, it records you anyway based off, based off ethnicity. If you are opposed to some of the, the left projects of the day, you will be uh, quickly counted among the white supremacist uh, uh, demographic, uh, the, the most pressing challenge in America today, according to the Biden administration. So that at least, at least it's becoming very inclusive um, um, in that way. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's, it, this is, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it, you're looking at the history of the way that you know, different ethnic groups were considered you know, by the government, right? You know, the, the way that uh, Italians um, were, were, were counted and, and considered. And, and all these things change over time and they don't change over time from a, a you know, some sort of, of you know, aloof, um, you know, scientific rigor dynamic. There is, there is a, you know, it, it is what serves the interests of the regime today. Um, I think it's particularly true with the, the you know, the, the transformation, you know, the, the great 20th century revolution away from a, a property rights society more or less um, into this civil rights society where there is more of, of the, the, the positive dy dynamics there. You, you see it play out, you know, with um, obviously in, in education battles and, and you know, racial differences of the way institutions treat this. We see it play out, obviously, with as the example you mentioned of, you know, if you are counted as black on census data, the way that that allocates funds and things like that. You know, the, the state utilizes these this, this, uh, you know, statistical edifice that it creates um, for, you know, there, there is a, a very much a, a patron dynamic to it um, that the left has become very good at utilizing for the expansion of whatever projects they have in this day and age, and they will change at will um, whatever gets to their desired ends. And again, the, I think the biggest difference now 
is you know, the fact that there are so many different ways of being able to consume content trying to break down the news cycle, you know, the, the, the breakdown of, you know, you having a, a small minority of outlets, you know, whether it's newspapers, whether it is, is you know, mainstream um, television channels and things like that, where, you know, if you're getting any sort of, you know, official, you know, you know deep, um, um, you know, informed economic analysis, you kind of had to go through, um, you know, these sort of networks now when, I mean, I think Zero Hedge, um, you know, is, is one of the, the leading financial outlets out there precisely because it portrays it, it offers a different slant to the official narrative. And, and, and this is something that, that is worth noting as well, is that even though as Austrians, um, you know, we are uh, very skeptical, but mildly of the uh, mathematicalization of economics and the misuse of statistics um, as a way to replace theory, we, we are not anti-stats themselves as a way of better understanding, um, you know, the, the world around us. And you know, I, I know that um, you, know, you do a lot of work at Mises.org reporting on uh, one of the alternative Austrian measures, um, of which there are a few out there. Jonathan Newman has given this lecture at Mises U. Um, in recent years, always a great time. If you're interested more in this topic, I'd recommend looking at one of his um, videos, um, you know, from, from some of the past summers there. Um, but we have, you know, the true money supply um, as a measure that um, uh, Murray Rothbard and Joe Salerno have worked on in trying to have a, a better measure of the money supply and different dynamics there that, you know, have fundamental differences from various other official Fed-reported um, money stats there. You, there. There are different ways of looking at um, GDP data. Um, I believe Rothbard removed um, you know, the, the state dynamic of GDP as a better way of measuring it. Um, I know there has been some other Austrian measures where they remove the state component of GDP twice to sort of price in the misallocation of capital that comes with broad government projects so that, you know, the trillion dollars, um, you know, that we give to uh, Boeing in order, to, or, or uh, you know, Lockheed Martin um, to provide weapons that we send to Ukraine, not only is that not something that is adding to the underlying strength of the economy that us as consumers enjoy, um, but actually takes away from, uh, uh, you know, a, a capital that could have been used for better, uh, uh, more efficient, uh, more more productive outlets out there, and so you know, you know, I, I, one of the things I think is I, I think is a good thing is that the more that we have alternative financial analysis out there, um, where people are trying to identify ways of of um, you know, providing a different lens, that leads to a lot of of interesting work. Some of it, you know, might not have a, a tremendous amount of, of value, you know, not all, uh, all stats, not all alt stats are necessarily good just because they're alternative. Um, but the fact that there is a, an attempt out there, um, given the, the, the greater um, ways of obtaining this content to try to provide different lenses to better understand what is going on is, I think, a, a very positive uh, trend out there. And hopefully as we see the continual um, you know, decline of you know cable news rate, uh, ratings as we see the decline of the impact of outlets. You know, range from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal, 
um, the more that we see people you know, looking at alternative sites, including Mises.org, um, you know, that will help at least for those interested in you know, the truth, um, interested in better understanding what is going on. There's at least options out there that did not exist so that we can see through you know, the, the, the damn lies of uh, government statistics. Now, of course, that doesn't All help right, the well, census we'll side of things, but, you know, <laughs> don't, don't take over the Census Bureau. But uh, you know, on the margins there, those are, those are positive contributions. Yeah, there's just so much work left uh, to do there. And, and even today, you can see, actually, you could see how blatantly the census was used for political purposes back with the debate over, are we going to ask people if they're citizens? or not, right? That was uh, a little bit of just an out in the open debate over that. Now, the consistent position was to be against even that, right? The, the census was only there to ask people where they are, how many of them there are, and where they live. It was never designed to collect anything more than that, although the feds have tried to do that uh, from the very beginning. But the fact that there are just public debates over what questions should the census act is just a glimpse into how much we admit the political nature of federal data collection. And so it's it's not just the census, it's all of that. The questions asked when, of who, and how. Um, need to have some grasp of how that's being done and how it's being manipulated. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up this uh, episode of Radio Rothbard. Thank you for listening. Be sure to pick up your Radio Rothbard mug at Mises.org slash Rothmug. And uh, we'll uh, be back next week with another episode, so have a great week.